Our first speaker is Terry L. And Terry has been an OA since May the 7th of 2014. Her home group is the 8.15 a.m. Saturday morning meeting right here at Skivvy. And she actually attends the meeting in person. She has held service positions at both the local meeting and intergroup level. And she is loved by animals and small children. Um, without further ado, would you please um, help me welcome Terry L. That's what you get when you write your own. You well, write you your own. I thought it was great, actually. Actually, Terry, how would you like your time? Oh, um, you know, 15 minutes. Okay. All right. I'll let you know. Hello, friends. My name is Terry L. I'm a compulsive eater. Uh, do I need to speak up more loudly? I'm, I tend to be very quiet now. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I walked through the doors of the Glendora Skivvy office on May 7th, 2014. Um, I really don't know how I got there. I, uh, I know uh, my underwear was not fitting me and, and strangling me, so I needed to do something. And, you know, they call our fellowship the last house at the end of the block. And I walked to the end of the block and I went through the door. Um, <clears throat> my story is kind of unbelievable in that I walked into an 11th step, step study. Um, I am not a God person. In fact, I, I walked through the door about 20 years before that time and was turned off by the notion of God and never came back until 2014. Um, but I really liked the people. And I thought, okay, well, I, I guess I'll put up with the God stuff because I really like the people. Mostly because I could complain about it. I could say, you know, I don't like the pronouns. I don't like the, I don't like the, I don't like any of the God stuff. Um, and they just said, okay, well, you know, keep coming back and, you know, attend six meetings and see how it goes for you. I said, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that then. So um, I, did not have a, I did not have a sponsor for the first two months I was in program. I figured I could do everything myself. I, I was a lawyer. I self-studied for the bar exam. I self-studied for the LSAT. Mostly everything in my life I've been very successful at except maintaining a um, consistent body weight. Um, I was very good at dieting. Um, I probably have lost 50 to 70 pounds at least 10 times in my life, uh, up and down, up and down. Um, there was a time when I did not eat any food for four months, that when Oprah hauled out the wagon of fat, and I decided I was going to go on OptiFast, and I did that, and it worked and then um, I put a pretzel in my mouth and 50 pounds later, I have been blanked out as to what happened when I put that pretzel in my mouth and put all that weight back on. So <clears throat> after having been in program for a while here, um, you know, I used to search around for my trauma. I used to hear about other people having trauma, like that would be my excuse for being a compulsive overeater is my trauma. I don't, I don't really have 
trauma. I really have just an inability to cope with life in general. I'm going to share at the second meeting this week something a friend of mine told me that I love so much uh, that I really liked my highlight reel of the past and um, the fairy dust of the future. And I didn't really like dealing with day life on a day-to-day basis. In fact, boredom is one of the things that will cause me to go and eat. Um, I often think of my, let me back up a little bit. So I started off not liking the God stuff, but um, my sponsor referred me to the end of the, um, the end of the big book where they talk about um, the, religious be- the religious experience being more of an educational variety, uh, it's where it talks about, you know, not having contempt without prior investigation. I tried many times really to see if I could act as if, and I never, it, it never worked for me. Um, so I, I think I shared this at this meeting before, um, my sponsor got this for me. Uh, about, it's an issue of lifeline. When they talk about practicing as an atheist or an agnostic, I'm not really that. I'm just not a Christian. Um, so that's my thing. And I told somebody the other day, if somebody as arrogant and non-God-believing as me can stay in this program since 2014, anybody here can. <laughs> so, one of my sponsees says, just swallow the fish whole and spit out the bones. So I really, I like that. So um, I think I've also shared this before. And, you know, I really think that my compulsive overeating is part of, part of a larger mental illness for me of depression and anxiety. Um, wanting to eat food to feel better. And I still want to do that, but in order to not do that, I have to, um, practice things that get me in a good headspace. Like if depression is the issue, I got to go out and walk in the sunlight of the spirit, literally go out and walk in the sunlight, um, talk to somebody, be honest about my feelings, feel my feelings. I hate doing every single bit of that, but um, I do it because I I don't want to compulsively overeat. I sometimes still compulsively overeat. Um, But the success for me is in the seven years I've been here, seven years, I still weigh 40 pounds less than when I started. I don't weigh as little as when I started. Um, but I've never gone back to the mark in the seven years. And I cannot say that really for any other program that I have been involved in from diets like the tomato soup diet and the, uh, that was my first diet, the bananas and the milk and the this and the that, and the vegetable soup. And the crazier the diet, the better. I think I get kind of high from the dieting thing. It's kind of yeah, it's, it's kind of fun until it's not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the ego, 
the ego boost that you get from dieting. You're saying, oh my God, you look so great. I try even now in program, if I see somebody walk into the room, I try not to say, oh my God, you've lost weight. I try to say what somebody told me, like, wow, you're looking really healthy. You're looking really healthy. Because really the thing for me that I wanted to come back for was the sense of peace that I found in a meeting, the ability to say whatever my crazy story was um, and to be in a place where people spoke the same language as me in regard to food. And I remember when I left that meeting on May 7th, 2014, I actually got into a car accident and I was so calm after leaving, leaving that meeting where they were talking about God that I, I was like, okay, just give me your phone number or whatever. We'll deal with the car accident. And we just drove off. And I was like, I didn't call the suicide hotline. I didn't, I just got the number, I got the car fixed. And I, at that time I was going to meetings every day. Um, we have a lot, we had a lot of in-person meetings here in Glendora, California, in the meeting room that, um, where we have in-person meetings and hybrid meetings. So I was going to show you my story in my, my weight loss, my weight story, which is kind of fun. So Okay, Terry, ah, there we go, okay. So right here, I'm using this with dieting with God, right here. I went immediately down 70 pounds and I maintained it for like a year. And then I decided I wanted to lose more and then I went up. <laughs> and then I bounce around and these parts here or when life got crazy for me, I don't, you know, some of you know, my brother, Anthony passed away about six months ago and he had mental illness and he made me crazy and he made me want to eat. And, um, and, you know, part of the up and down there for me is that I had breast cancer three years ago. Um, at one point I had problems with my lung. I had to take some steroids and so it's like this and this and this, but I broke my ankle last year. <clears throat> Shelby helped save me. I think I saw Shelby on the line here. Peace sister for saving me. <laughs> and, um, I can say that, uh, Overeaters Anonymous really is a life program for me. It's a life practice. Um, I really wish it was a diet and calories club. I sometimes I long for it. You know, can I just can I just count calories? Do I really have to like? When I first was in the meeting, when I was first in program, I thought I feel like I was pulling off band aids and scabs every day, and just crying in buckets of tears, crying buckets of tears for like six months. Like, can I just, can I just get down to 500 calories and work out four hours a day? It seemed to be a little bit easier, but it really, the program really is an inside job. I'm a lot more calm nowadays. I really have really good friends in program. Um, and 
you know, my recovery really didn't start till about three years in when I really wanted to quit. Well, many times I walk in the room, I think this is the last time I'm going to come into this meeting room. Here I am seven years later. Um, five minutes left. Thank you. Uh, did you say five? Five. Okay. Um, but where my recovery really came from was when I would come early to a meeting and talk with people, stay late at a meeting, talk with people, talk with people out in the parking lot, one-on-one, -on -one, go to coffee afterwards. Because a lot of the people that were not big talkers in the meeting had a lot of recovery. And they'd been listening to my bullshit stories for a lot of times and thinking, What's really, it's really eating you, Terry. What's really, and it's, you could have some real conversations. My preference is for in-person meetings for that, but you know, this is okay too. You know, I often wonder how people could be podcasters talking to themselves. I really need my audience to really get a good pitch going on, but here we are. Um, so thank you for the invitation, Mary Sue. I really appreciate it. I appreciate this group of women. Um, and I think I'm done. Well, thank you, Terry. That was wonderful. I so appreciate it. And, um, you know, there was just a lot of, a lot of good things to take away from there. I've heard you before, and I, I really could identify with a lot of that. Um, I want to give a special thank you to Terry, because she actually um, stepped up and, and uh, helped me out tonight. One of our speakers woke up sick this morning. And so um, I knew we would make it just fine. But thank you for giving service on such short notice. I deeply appreciate. Thank you. Um, okay, let me get to our next speaker. Um, I heard her speak. Uh, at Skivvy on Easter Sunday morning. And um, let me see where, this is terrible. Okay. And it was interesting because I was, I just came back into OA um, March the 16th. And when she spoke, I, I could just relate to so much of what she said, and I knew that somehow we were really kindred spirits. Um, I want to introduce to you um, Patty T. Um, Patty's been in OA for 15 and a half years. Um, she is a chronic relapser, both before the program and since coming into these rooms. Um, she works the steps diligently with a sponsor through the big book. And she also uh, works them and loves the OA 12 and 12, where she, where uh, step two um, really was instilled in her. And I could understand that too. Um, it really teaches, step two really teaches us that this program is not one to be worked alone, that it is working with others in our way that teaches us how to love others and to love ourselves. And without any further ado, um, I'm gonna introduce to you, uh, Patty. And uh, Patty, tell me, how would you like your time this evening? 
And if you could just give me a, a, a three and two at the end. Right. A three minutes yep. and two at the end. Right. Thank Wonderful. you so much. Hi. Hi, everybody. My name is Patty T, and I am a compulsive eater. Um, boy, um, this disease has run my life since the time I was four years old or five. Uh, and I wish I could remember what I talked about on Easter Sunday that uh, <laughs> Mary Sue recalls. But I'm at the age now, you guys, where I can't remember where I put my coffee. So you'll just have to bear with me. Um, yeah, I came into these rooms uh, in September of 2006. I was 51 years old and 265 pounds. Uh, my ankles and knees could not support my weight. I was so heavy. I could barely walk. Um, I could not not walk down the hallways, uh, the corridors of my office without having to stop to get breath. Uh, I mean, it, it, we all know the, the symptoms, right? I mean, we all know what obesity feels like. And if we don't know what obesity feel like, feels like, we know what starving feels like. And we know what um, that rat race in our head feels like. Um, it's just the compulsion run amok. I had been in therapy for my eating issues uh, for, I can't even tell you how many years. I knew there was something wrong with me because I'd been told that all my life uh, from a very early age because uh, my mother did not have a weight problem or at least an eating disorder that we could discern. But um, she fully believed in... Uh, uh, a pretty little girl, right? And I was not that pretty little girl from the time I was five or six. I started putting on weight. And, uh, and you know, maybe I was born a compulsive eater. I don't know. But at the age of five, uh, the, the dynamics in our family became such that food became my solution, right? And um, I can look at pictures of myself when I was born five years old and I was adorable. And then I can look at pictures of myself when I was seven and I'm a little chubby. And then I look at pictures of myself when I was eight and I'm really fat. Uh, when I was eight years old, I weighed 103 pounds. I was the heaviest kid in the class, save for the tallest boy. Um, so. Um, it just went on from there. You know, my disease just became progressive and progressive. My mother tried to control my uh, weight by giving me enemas on a regular basis. Because in her mind, if she could get the food out as quickly as possible, it wouldn't do as much damage. Um, she wanted a Miss Mississippi or a Miss, a Miss America. I was from Mississippi. So you start there, right? And it just didn't, it just didn't happen. Right. And I really let me be clear. I really adored my mother, um, but she was my primary abuser and it was very much around food. So the whole aspect of this program where it says we call our food and commit our food and talk to our sponsors about food. I can't do that. It's it's not OK with me for you to tell me what to do about food. Um, it's it's a very deep uh, 
deep hurt and I'm still trying to heal it. And um, I will tell you that um, when I walked in these rooms, I only came here because the therapist um, told me that um, the insurance might cut me off because she'd been working with me, she alone had been working with me for three years and my eating hadn't changed. I was still overweight and I wasn't losing any weight. In fact, I had gained. And so she didn't know what to do. And she asked me if I would be willing to come to OA because she needed to know that I would have a place to go and talk about this stuff if I couldn't afford therapy, right? With no insurance. And, and I said, okay, because I was a people pleaser. See, that's what I came in with, was people pleasing. And I wanted to do it for her, right? To make her happy. And so I said, fine. And so I went home that night and I looked up OA meetings in my area. And there were like three or four of them really near me, all within 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, one just right down the street, one 10 minutes away. Um, another one, a few more minutes past that, like 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, okay, I, no problem, right? Except when the day came to go to those meetings, I couldn't go. And, and when I went back to my next therapy session the following week, I had to admit to her that I, I couldn't get to the meeting. I said, but here's the thing. Therapy has taught me that when I can't do a thing, when, when I have that feeling that I should do it and I can't, maybe I need to really check out why. So I'll try one more week by myself. And if I can't, I'll have to ask you to go with me to take and she agreed. Somehow that weekend, I got to a meeting. And I don't know, maybe there were 10 people there, 12 people. It was a tiny little room. But the people there were all different sizes and shapes and abstinent, not abstinent. But they all had something that was elusive to me. And that was they all seemed to be comfortable in their own skin. They, they didn't uh, seem to feel insecure about who they were in the way that I did. Um, on paper, I looked great. I had a really high paying job. I owned my own home. I, you know, I looked great on paper. But inside me, I was absolutely terrified every morning when my eyes opened. And I had sought spirituality throughout my life. And... And, and really around the food, like I wanted to stop eating, right? But um, it just hadn't ever manifested. So I, I didn't know what else to do except try to do what this therapist said. And maybe I could talk my way out of being a compulsive eater or whatever it was I was. And um, when I saw these people, I was so attracted to that, to that um, self-love that they possessed. And the fact that they seemed so open to one another, because um, my my real uh, reality was going to work and being the ha ha lady at the office, and then going and buying my binge on the way home through a couple of drive-throughs and a donut shop, bringing those bags into the house, sitting on the couch, turning on the television, and there we go, off and running, and until I passed out which I would eat to passing out. And that was my life. I had no friends. I had no social 
to life whatsoever. In fact, I suffered severe and still do quite a bit now that I've been in COVID, uh, social anxiety. And, um, and that was just the nature of my life. So I thought, if I could get what these people have, I don't care if I lose the weight, right? Whatever. Because what they had was amazing. Um, I got a sponsor the following week after I went to a few meetings. And I kept hearing that, you know, uh, find somebody that has what you want and ask that person to be your sponsor. And I, I saw this girl, you know, she was like 22 or 23 and, and she was beautiful. And she had lost over a hundred pounds. She called herself a hundred pounder. And I thought to myself, what might my life have been like had I discovered this program at her age? I was just curious. So when I saw her at the next meeting, I asked her if she would be willing to sponsor me. And she said, yes, I would love to sponsor you. Little did I know that this woman was a nanny by profession. And uh, the woman she was sponsoring me was 51 year old, five year old, who didn't know how to use her words, who didn't know how to describe what she felt, who didn't know how to get in touch with her feelings, who was terrified of everything and everyone, and who rather than cry, would rather eat a pizza or a Costco cake. That, that's who I was. But this girl had a gift and it could only come from higher power. And she worked the steps and she began to work with me. And we started by taking the For Today book and I'd read the passage and I'd write on it and then I'd call her and I'd read it to her, give it away. She always used to say to me, I want you to say a prayer. And I'd say, what prayer? And she said, any prayer. I just don't want to be talking to your disease. So say a prayer. Say, say the, say the uh, serenity prayer twice before you call me every morning. So I would do that. And then one day she asked me if I could, what my favorite dessert was. And I said, oh, brownies, without a doubt. And she said, um, can you write a love letter to brownies? And I laughed and I said, yeah, I can. She said, okay, I'd like you to do that. I'd like you to read, read it to me tomorrow. And I said, okay. And then um, the next day I read it to her and we laughed and it was so funny. And boy, I was just so in love with brownies. She said, now today's assignment is for you to write a Dear John letter to brownies about how you have to you know, break up with brownies. And immediately panic seized me. And I, and I just blurted out, are you telling me I can't eat brownies anymore? And, you know, I was 51. I sounded like a five-year-old. And she said, no, I just want to know what brownies don't give you that you need more from. I said, okay. So that letter took a little longer, took a couple of days. And finally, I was ready to read it. And I cried reading that letter to her. Because I realized as I read that letter that my relationship was, with brownies was deeper than my, my most heartfelt friendship. That food, that I was having an affair with food that was one-sided and that and that what I got out of it was was really nothing 
and it and it no longer served me and that's why i was so in so much pain and i didn't know what to do about that and we began to work the steps that day because that's the day i knew that i was powerless we got to step two and it talked about you know uh, we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that restores to sanity um i knew then that there was some insanity at least around food for me and i had been told by my family all my life because they didn't know what to do with a creative child uh that there was something wrong <laughs> with my sanity before that so so um i got to step two and you know step two is is the principle of hope. And I just want to read you something that says um, in step two, it talks about, you know, how, well, many of us had asked God to help us control our weight and this prayer hadn't worked. Later, we understood why our pleas for help seemed to fall on deaf ears. What we really were asking God to do was remove our fat while allowing us to go on eating whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted sound like five-year-old um most of us also needed to learn to ask other people for help and to let god speak to us through our fellows in oa god's healing power comes to us through a caring community of other compulsive overeaters before we joined the oa fellowship our prayers for help might have gone unanswered simply because we were never meant to face this disease in isolation we were meant to open up so that we might learn to receive love and to truly love others. Whatever the case, after years of making vows and saying prayers, but then eating compulsively again, we were left without faith that God could restore us to sanity about food. We believed intellectually that God could do anything, but deep in our hearts, we knew God couldn't help us with this area of our lives. It was this negative concept of God we had to change if we were to find recovery. How could we do this? And then the answer, we became willing to start fresh with our higher power. So that's what I found early in my recovery. And that first year, just like Terry's graph, I let go of 70 pounds with the help of a higher power and others and my sponsor and my fellows. Five minutes or three minutes. So I, I tell you all this because I would like to tell you that you know I got abstinent, I lost all this weight, I'm at a healthy body weight, and I never had to deal with it again. But you know, um, I isolated for a lifetime before I walked into these rooms, and I have I developed belief systems over that time that still run my life that I discover in fourth steps all the time. And that I have to unlearn. And I have relapsed chronically. I had a six year running relapse. I mean, it was like, God, I could stay abstinent three or four months, even a year, and then I'd go out again. I always kept coming to the meetings because I had nowhere else to go. And that's what I say to people don't ever stop coming, just keep coming back. You know, because here, the answer is here. I don't, I don't know what, quote, God is um good orderly direction works for me the scent of jasmine on a breeze also works for me um jesus loves me works for me the idea of a, a loving christian god the idea of of just 
a power, a cosmic power that works in harmony with everything works for me as well. I don't know what it is, but I do know that if I make the effort to get up in the morning and to say my prayers and to try to find at least five minutes of meditation and to do step work and to call others and check in with other compulsive eaters and to work with my sponsor on my steps and to work with others, taking them through the steps, I have a much better chance of staying obese as opposed to morbidly obese. Because I'm still not at a healthy body weight, according to some doctor's charts. And it really doesn't matter to me. But today, I'm not afraid of dropping dead of a heart attack. Today, I'm not wishing I could drop dead of a heart attack. Today, I don't hate myself. Today, I'm comfortable in my skin, just like those other people I witnessed at that first meeting. And that's because of the 12 steps in this program and the fellowship. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Patty. That was wonderful. All right, now we go into um, our Q&A where you all can um, ask Patty and Terry uh, questions about their program, how they did something. Hi, it's Moon. Can I share? Hey, Moon. It looks like Mary Sue is frozen. So, yes, go ahead. I just can't, can I have Patty? They, Mary Sue, if you, oh, here she is. She's back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moon, we're doing a Q&A right now. And um, do, do you have a question for one of these ladies? Moon, are you talking to Moon? Yes. Uh-huh. I am. Yes, I do have a question, Patty. You're, um, I related so, so, so much to so many things you said. Um, I was wondering if I could get your tax number. Yes, it's right up here by my name, sweetie. Can you, oh, you're on the I'm phone. I'm on the phone, so I, I can't see it. I okay, can't see it, I'm on the phone. Do you have a pen? Yes. Okay, it's 818. Uh huh. 669. 669. 
oh my God, I could relate so much. And thank you for answering things and doubts in me that I didn't know how, how to articulate or even speak about. Um, I wanted to ask you about prayers. I really love that when you were talking about your relationship with your sponsor, you weren't really concerned, like the focus was on prayer rather than like, what did you specifically eat or what time did you eat or so um i've been trying now i've been i think this is my seventh week in the program i've been trying to um the scale is not moving long story short the scale is not moving um, that's good news <laughs> you think so and i'm not sure yeah. i was thinking today i was talking to my sponsor today and she said amy you you've got to engage god more and you've got to remember you can do it with god and I, it hit me that, honestly, I say that I'm working the program, but actually I'm not praying about this in particular. So I was wondering if you have a, a resource for good OA uh, prayers that I can, and like how to pray and when to pray and, and your relationship with prayer and with God as you or your higher power as you go through the struggles when you have an urge or a trigger and you feel like it's going to hit you and you're almost going to mm -hmm. eat this uh, especially for me like I suffer a lot in my relationships so in the weekends I feel so lonely and food is my best friend so or I don't know what kind of friend but this is where I used to go in my weekends when I'm sad so what do I do uh, in these situations thank you you know um what I do every morning is I the first prayer I I do every morning is the serenity prayer and I say it in the wee version with my dogs I have four dogs and so we sit and we say the wee version of the serenity prayer three times right and then we sit quietly and that's when I commune with my higher power that's when I get quiet and still and try to listen for whatever my higher power has to say to me sometimes I don't hear anything sometimes the chatter is really really loud in my head from my disease and so i just sit there anyway and then i find and over the last year and a half i found that the the set aside prayer which is not really well known in oa but that set aside prayer has really helped me as uh, in relationship to being able to set aside everything i think i know about what my recovery is supposed to look like right so for me, learning how to be honest about my food has been the greatest challenge for me in my program due to my upbringing. And, and I get to set aside, and so, you know, in my thinking, in my mind, you know, if you're a good oa -er and you're going to recover, you're going to tell everybody what you're going to eat, and you're going to eat just that, and that's it. And I had to set that idea aside so that I could have a new experience, a God experience, and an, an open mind, right? And so the set-aside prayer, you can find it um, in, in, uh, on, on the internet. You could call me, and, and I'll be happy to give you my version of it. But that really helps me. And then the other prayer that I can use throughout the day is God help me, complete prayer and thy will be done thy will not mine be done i've also been known as i drove to say god can you help me detour that drive-through window 
Because when I'm in that place, guess what? A drive-through window is calling me, right? If I'm in a car and things are in the, you know, the problems of life are hitting me, uh, a drive-through window is dangerous. And I have been known to pray to avert the drive-through window. And I'll tell you what, it works. So you just keep coming back, connect to your sponsor, and keep keep working the steps, and it will happen. And congratulations, because you're home. Thank you so much. Terry, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, yes, sure. Um, I like that uh, Patty had shared that help me is a complete prayer and a pause. I know in the morning when I wake up, I'm like, even though my pitch was I'm not a good girl, I, I'll use the word and I'll say, okay, God, what's your plan for me today? Um, help me be in it. Help me, you know, just roll with the punches. Um, and I think mostly for me, the practice of learning how to get still and quiet, like Patty was talking about, learning how to, uh, finding that still quiet place inside yourself, not just an emergency basis, an everyday practice. Um, and a lot of times too, my meditative practice takes on a lot of forms. Uh, you can see my art here in the background. Sometimes it takes on that form. Sometimes it takes on the form of God with skin on by calling other people. Um, sometimes it's petting my animals and looking in their eyes and going into this calm, quiet place. So I think the practice is don't just do it when it's an emergency. Don't wait until you're at the drive-in window for the prayers. Um, do it as a matter of practice. And I think the acceptance prayer out of the big book is pretty good too. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank just, you, Terry. Just real quick here. This is uh, Carla. I'm a compulsive overeater and the person managing the recording for this meeting. Normally we record up until um, when the speaker stops speaking um, but, you know, these questions and answers seem as, you know, important as, as the original talk. So I was just wondering if anybody in the room um, would object to us keeping an audio recording of the questions and answers that we're doing right now. When it gets into personal sharing, I can shut it off. But uh, if you could raise your hand and if you're on the phone, you can say, please don't. <laughs> um, and then I'll stop the recording even right now. So, but otherwise I'll continue recording what we're talking about. Cause these are very beautiful questions and answers. So going, going, I don't see any objections to continuing recording questions and answers. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you, Carla. Who else has a question? 
Shelby is up. Oh, she hi, Shelby. Hi. Hi, I'm Shelby, compulsive reader. I just had a question about relapse. And, you know, what are your strategies for a chronic relapser or somebody who's just recently relapsed? What is, you know, what is your advice for somebody who's in relapse? Who are you addressing the question to? To both speakers. I guess, Terry, if you could go first. Hi. Mm -hmm. Well, my friend, uh, you've seen me throughout the course of my program here. Um, I have gone up and I showed you my chart. I don't want anybody to think I am a perfect person that I'm speaking here. I remember when I decided I was going to um, lose weight after I'd lost like 70 pounds that I was going to take it on my own because I really wanted to be a star. I could not grab on to the, the um, physical leg of the stool. I really then had to decide either I couldn't, I couldn't live with the lie, the disparity of me putting on weight. I think at the same time I was the chair of the intergroup, which gave more pressure um, I really had to grab on to the physical component of the program. You really opening myself up to other people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I think you and I went hiking for some while. We had some really good talks. Um, <clears throat> and I do believe that one should not compound the guilt and the fear and the anger that one has from relapse with a negative self-talk. I do believe that um, that is a habit that we as compulsive overeaters cannot afford either toward ourselves or other people. Righteous indignation is not a, a food that we should eat. So that, that's my thought. I wholeheartedly agree with everything Terry said. And I, I will tell you too, that for me, um, after many experiences with quote relapse, I have to go back and read the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have to go back and familiarize myself with the fact that I have a physical allergy. And that is the hardest thing for me to accept. I do not want to accept that. Um, I, I want to think that I'm above that and beyond that, but I'm not. <laughs> and, and I have an obsession of the mind, which even if I stop eating the foods that trigger me to want more, I still, three months from now, will come up with the idea out of the blue. There's nothing wrong in my life. And then out of the blue, oh, I'll bet I could eat that now. That is the obsession of the mind. And that is the power and the cunning, baffling powerfulness of my disease. That is the crux of it. And it all leads to unmanageability, which shows up as weight gain, which shows up as acting out of fear, which shows up as in negative self-talk and punishment, et cetera, et cetera. The best thing that I, I can suggest for anybody that is dealing with relapse is to get your butt in the steps. 
get into the big book, get into the 12 and 12 with another compulsive eater. Pair up, find a buddy. If you don't have a sponsor, find a buddy willing to work these steps with you and, and get yourself a relationship with a higher power that you can trust to help take you where you will. Because I'll tell you what, when I focus on the food, that only, let, I only get fatter. Every time I focus on the food, I only get worse because it's not about the food. It's, a, it's about the spiritual malady. And uh, that's just what I would say. Use, use one another. <clears throat> I, Thank you, Mike. I, I got, I'm sorry, Patty, let me interrupt you. Um, I'm going to say something I think might be sacrilegious in LA, but that's okay. They'll, they'll let me come back anyway, because I meet tradition through you. <laughs> Um, I think sometimes you have to redefine your abstinence and really not make it, for me, I know that I am a, I am being abstinent when I have a calm state of mind, that my food isn't, that I'm not thinking about food all the time. Uh, that's, that's what I, that's what I strive for, but you know, I'm 57, so I have to kind of accept that I'm not going to be life's not going to be like when I was 20. Even then I was, you know, I was, I've never been a thin person. I've never been at goal weight, but you and I, Shelby, have walked up mountains for five miles and, uh, you know, I'm not at goal weight. And, um, so what, <laughs> so what food does not run my life, no mo. And, uh, I don't use it inappropriately to deal with my emotions. So, that's my other add on. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, Laurie Lee would like to ask a question. And um, Laurie, would you like to unmute and share and ask? Yes, thank you, Laurie Lee, uh, COE. And I just wanted to ask um, both you ladies um, we hear of these trigger foods here in um, in uh, recovery rooms and the recovery rooms, and I just wanted to know if you can explain what trigger foods are to us, and also um, how do you identify those trigger foods? Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Terry. Uh, I'm cutting in on Patty. I'm just going to suck all the air out of the room. Um, trigger foods. I think trigger foods and trigger behaviors. I think a lot of times in program, we think that it's the white sugar, white flour. If you can't get off of that, then you're not abstinent. But, you know, early on, if, if you do an inventory, you to make a list of those things that those foods that you can't eat like a lady, like the serving size is whatever is in front of you. Uh, it, it's not the three quarters cups of the, the frosted flakes. It's the whole box of frosted flakes, those, those foods. Um, and you know, what's frustrating about food is that it works. It does calm for me. It does calm me down. It does zip me up. It does calm me down. It has the side effect that I have, uh, in my closet, I have six different sizes of clothing because my body shape shifts all the time. But my sponsor tells me 
do not poke the beast. If you know, if you're going through the grocery store and you're looking at stuff and you're looking at the package and it says, okay, seven servings, don't fool yourself to say, uh, I'm only going to eat that third cup of serving. You might as well count that as the full bag because if you're like me, you'll eat it until it's gone. I mean, if it's something that you really like. So don't go and look for unicorns either. Somebody told me about looking for unicorns in the grocery store where you can eat a large volume for a small amount of calories. That's not part of our program either because that's, you know, you have the obsession of the mind then. And sometimes you can poke the beast and you'll be fine. Sometimes you cannot get the allergy and the obsession to go away and you never know when that will happen. So in relapse, I think, um, you really wanna be cautious about those red, yellow, and green lights foods. Even if you don't wanna give them up, know about them. Because sometimes you can eat them and sometimes they'll eat you. <laughs> so wow, I couldn't agree more. That, that that is such so true. And you know, um, for me, and I'll just be honest, I didn't want to give up sugar. You know, when I first got into program, I was eating all foods moderately. All I had to do was be honest about it. And and uh, and then I just began to discover that there were times when I didn't want to be honest about it because I'd overeaten it, right? And so, so it was that was a learning situation for me. That was just information. But eventually, I began to see how sugar actually distorted my personality. Um, I became like a mean drunk under the influence of sugar. And I had to, I, I, I decided, you know, uh, that, that that, you know, with the help of a higher power, that that wasn't doing me any, any good. So could, could my higher power help me just 18 hours a day, let go of that? Because I'm sleeping eight, right? So, so, so there, so, so that helped me. Um, but I, I, I also know that for me, you know, any food I can't eat just one of, like I have never eaten a single donut in my life unless it was the last one on the plate or in the box. I have never eaten a single cookie. I have never eaten a single potato chip. But by the same token, I haven't eaten bags of potato chips either. So I have to really, really connect with my higher power to understand, to know in my gut, what, what is a trigger food for me? And just, just like Terry just said, be aware of what those red, yellow, and green light foods are. You know, because I can overeat carrots. I can overeat baby carrots or snap peas, you know? given given the right circumstances so so um what one thing i learned about the word trigger is, is that it's not the thing that's triggering you you need to be concerned about the trigger is yours so if a food is triggering me i gotta look at that's historical what is what is the history of my feelings in that food and when i can look at that and do the writing on that and do the step work on that and give that stuff away to my sponsor or another fellow 
that releases me from the trigger of the food just a little bit more. I don't know if that helps. Thanks. I think too, it's foods that you lie about. Foods that if you talk to your sponsor, you say, oh, I'm having trouble with chocolate. It, you know, you don't say I ate a whole pound of m &Ms. Oh, I'm having a little problem with chocolate. Um, and I think sometimes you have to watch about trigger situations too. Not just think about it in terms of food, like eating in the car, eating in front of the TV set, eating after you fight with somebody, eating to because you're pissed off about what you saw on the news, eating because list it. All the things on that inventory is going to make you eat. And I think anything that I have, any food that I have to bargain with, okay, I'll just only eat you after five o'clock. And only in that red little bowl that I have. And then I will put you back and I won't touch you again till the next day. Anytime, any food I have to make that agreement with. I mean, I like broccoli, but I never have to make that agreement with broccoli. It's fine. Um, but any, any food that I have to make an agreement with, and sometimes it comes and goes. It's like, you know, how much do you want to argue in your head? Like peanut butter is one of those things that's like, Sometimes I'm okay with it. And sometimes I will eat it out of the jar by the spoon till it's gone. Uh, I would have to pour dish soap in it and put it in the trash to not eat it. So sometimes I have to decide that A, that can be in the house right now. I'm not, I can't have it. That's it, that's all I got. Thank you.